Carpenter's Way. Why don't you guys get up on your feet? Let's find somebody to tell them good morning.
Lay me 
down, lay me Good morning, everybody. Is that a new song? That is a very good song. Jo if the joy of my life is to lay my life down, man, that is maturity in Christ to be able to do that. I want to just tell you that each of you, I just got a call from heaven, each of you get a golden watch when you get there because the empty seats next to you are those lazy, lousy, mediocre, cold Christians who did not set their clocks, and they're not here to hear me badmouth them, so it really doesn't matter. It is so good to see you. I even wore a sport jacket because it was so stinking early when I got up. I didn't realize I was cleaning up this much. But uh, we really, uh, you know, I don't get very political. I don't get political very often, but I'm going to this morning. We're going to start a petition this year to get rid of this. Actually, I like this because it's lighter later, but let's not go back. What do you think? Thank you. Wow, it's like a revolution right here in our room. That's good. I feel good. Let's do it. Let's change. Anyway, that had nothing to do with this morning's service. <laughs> Good morning. Glad to have you here. If, uh, if you're just waking up this morning, getting ready for church, and turned on the Internet to watch us, how dare you? How dare you? We're glad, we're glad you're watching online. We're glad you're here in the room. Our, I, we even have some visitors here this morning, so we're, we're especially glad you're here. And, and uh, we're right now uh, walking through 1 Samuel together. And uh, we're glad you get to be a part of that this morning with us. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 today. And uh, we'll have a good time together in the Word. We encourage you, if you brought a Bible, to, to go ahead and make your way there. And we'll, we'll meet you there in a few moments. If you didn't, that's okay, too. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, but we're, we're glad you're here. And, and really, we want you to like us. We hope you feel welcome. We hope you got a cup of coffee. You'll need it. Uh, but having said that, we really hope you fall in love with Jesus Christ this morning. We're just honored that you would be with us. So uh, thanks. Um, if, if you could open your worship guides, there are a few things that I want to highlight. It is spring break for our local schools, and that means that we don't have Wednesday night services here. So enjoy your time with your kids if you're local, and if you're away, have a wonderful time. We'll get back up with that the following uh, Wednesday night. Um, I want to mention also that for those of you who have been visiting for a while or want to, want to know more information on Carpenter's Way, next Sunday we have our Carpenter's Way 101 class. That's how you become a member of Carpenter's Way or how you get more information. All of the elders are there. All the staff comes through. So you'll have a chance to interact with us a little bit, maybe ask questions that you've had that you haven't been able to get answered. But that's one of the steps towards becoming a member. Uh, but it's, it's not necessary to, to, to be a member after that. You can just kind of find out things. But that's next Sunday morning. It, begins at, uh, it will begin at 9.30. It will happen in the uh, library. And uh, we would love to have you join us for that. I also want to highlight the schedule for services. Our Easter services are in here now. 
Uh, so take some time to look at that. Uh, we have our Good Friday service. That, uh, to remind you, that's a 30-minute service right here. It's at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I know that's annoying for some, but the reason is, is because that's when the shofar was blown. The Passover lamb had been slain. Uh, we will have communion. We sing some hymns. We read some scripture. It's a very, it's, uh, it, the service itself is about 20 minutes long, and then there's time for communion. Uh, and the reason we do that is we want you to, if you can sneak out of work, come here, worship, and then head back to work. Uh, we want to make it uh, workable for you. But that's, uh, that's that Friday, the Good Friday service. And then, of course, Resurrection Sunday uh, is at 930. It's about an hour and 15 minutes long. It is going to be so good, you guys, so powerful. Uh, the sketch has been, is, is being worked on, and, it's, uh, and the music is being worked on. So anyway, we want you to be involved in all these things. It's, uh, it's, our, it's our ultimate holiday, isn't it? The holiday that we celebrate, our, our sins being removed, not just covered, and our Passover lamb had been slain. Uh, I am going to uh, go ahead and ask the ushers to come forward at this time. If you have been serving on the security team or, or are interested, there is a meeting immediately following, uh, following our service right here at 11 o'clock. It's going to meet over in this section. Uh, Jack, who is our uh, the guy in charge of it, our, our cop, uh, Jack will be teaching you some stuff that we want you to know and uh, and if, if you're not and you've been interested in jumping in, this is not just a, although there's a lot of testosterone on our team uh, it, it's not just for men, ladies, you're welcome to be a part of it. If you're looking for a ministry and this is something you would be interested in uh, come come join us. Uh, a couple times a year we have this training and uh, it's pretty important so um, if you're going to be involved uh, that has become pretty significant in recent years, hasn't it? Church security and uh, so if that's something you would like to participate in, please join us after or already have been. It's This is more of a training today, so we need you to be at that. Um, with that said, let's pray. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, this is the one part of the service we ask you not to participate in. Uh, as the plate comes by, just pass it. This is for those of us who attend here regularly. We're just glad you're here. We don't want you confused with money. And, and the budget pays not only the light bills and the staff salaries, but for mission work that we're participating in globally. We're just really glad to have you here today. And, watching online. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you uh, that you laid your life down for us so that we don't have to fear eternity apart from you or hell. Now, Father, as we get to know you, our heart's desire is to lay our lives back down for you. You bought us with a price. Therefore, now we want to honor you with our lives. And, and Father, that is a struggle. That's the struggle of the flesh, owning it versus surrendering it. And <clears throat> excuse me, Lord, I ask that this morning you would help us get closer to uh, that we would fall in love with you more so that we were willing to realize that you are trustworthy and we can lay our life down for you. I thank you, Father, for those that are here this morning. I pray you would bless them. We pray for those watching by way of Internet that you would encourage them, that this would be a wonderful morning between you and them and us uh, even watching in, on their television. And, Father, for those who are on vacation with their family or traveling and those who have sick Folks, Father, be with them, and I pray this would be a precious day. Uh, thank you that wherever we go, we take God with us because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So use us, Father, for your glory. We commit all these things, this service, everything we're about to do, we commit it to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Stand and worship with us. You're more than welcome.
Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. For oh, he is not confined. He confounds. He will not resign. He resounds. He is not restrained. Oh, hear the sound. Oh, hear the sound. Rocks are falling, broken calling to the God who moves the mountain. The earth is shaking, the weary waking to the God who moves the mountains. God who moves the mountains. He's not surprised. And he is not surprised. He surrounds. Oh, he cannot be stopped. He astounds. He is drawing near. The sound, oh, hear the sound. Rocks are falling, the broken calling to the God who moves the mountains. The earth is shaking, the weary waking to the God who moves the mountains. The God who moves the mountain. You say speak, and you say speak. What you can do, you say trust, and then you prove you're the God who moves the mountains, the God who moves the mountains. You say speak, and we say move, you say watch what you can do, you say trust. And then you prove you're the God who moves the mountains, the God who moves the mountains. Rocks are falling, the broken calling to the God who moves the mountains. The earth is shaking, the weary waking to the God who moves the mountain, the God who moves 
the God who moves the mountains. The earth is shaking, the weary waking to the God who moves the mountains. The God who moves the
service and after it was done this was the first contact I'd had with any southern attitude and he said that'll do till the singers get here I have no idea even to this day what that means but it sounds good that was good you know the problem is is when I sit up for those I understand the the uh the draw of the back row that's where I sit when I go to church too but uh I'll tell you what you don't know what it's like to sit up front if you've sat back there the whole time and listen to God's people sing it's so so cool and uh, man, I was blessed this morning. It's uh, thank you. Uh, you know, it is such a privilege to open God's Word with you every week. Um, I mean, I, I get to I, I am I have the best job in the world. I, I get to spend time in God's Word all week and uh, meet with people and pray with folks. But man, I get to spend time in God's Word, and it is it is so encouraging to to study this this living Word and then be able to share with you. Uh, what God is teaching me, and uh, man, I I just I'm just being moved by our study in First Samuel. I'm just I just really want to be more like Samuel than Saul, and I know you do as well. You know, I I, I believe with all my heart. Most Christians who go to church want to live faithfully. I do. I don't think we're very good at it, but the good news is He's good enough for us at it. But uh, I know I know we get frustrated and, and angry and scared and all that stuff, but I just want you to know that God's proud of you. He is so proud of the work He's doing in you, and uh, and I, I just, I'm just honored. We've been doing this, this, uh, it'll be in May, it will, end of May, it will have been 13 years we've been doing this with you, and, and I, I feel like we're just starting. For those of you who are hoping that I would retire sometime soon, and, and, and that you could find another pastor, you're in trouble. Uh, but wow, what a, what an amazing time we're having together, and thank you for letting us do it, and I, I know that I speak on behalf of the staff, Jeff and Alicia and, and, and Chad and Robert Grimes and the administrative staff. We've got so many staff around here. We just, we just love you guys so much. And uh, it, means, it means a lot to us that you just show up. It really does. Uh, nobody's more, more shocked than me than anybody's here on Sunday, but uh, I'm, I, I hear from you. I hear that God is working in your life. And, and uh, what, a, what a great way to spend my 85 years uh, with you. You just amen yourself. Can you do that? You're right, Pastor. You're lucky. You left San Diego. It's, it's. Uh, I'm just kidding. What? So, what did you just say? It doesn't matter. Let's get into the word, okay? Uh, one of the things that our culture does, and maybe the whole world, but especially uh, Western culture, especially the United States, um, we romanticize greatness, um, and and we should. Uh, there is something about studying, looking at, watching a movie about a life well lived that moves our hearts. Uh, we love Bravehearts, or we love Romeo and Juliet, depending on your gender or tastes. Um, what we often forget about greatness, though, is that no matter how we individually define it, it is the experience of becoming great that doesn't feel so great within the individual while they're becoming great. 
It's a painful experience. I mean, take, for instance, the inner turmoil that William Wallace must have felt while awaiting to be killed and quartered by King Edward I of England. Uh, I had the opportunity a few years back on the, way to, uh, on the way to India to actually spend a couple days in England, and I went to where uh, William Wallace's, the four parts of his body were hung on the bridge, and there's a plaque about that big. You see, Britain isn't that proud of what they did to this guy. And we look back, and we saw the movie Braveheart, which isn't very factual, but it is interesting, based on facts. Always watch the beginning of a movie based on facts. That means we're going to make up most of this, but it'll be entertaining. But, but uh, a phenomenal story. And when you go back and read the history, it's, it's quite remarkable. Or if you're a fan of Romeo and Juliet, I, I mean, the truth is that that story is because of a, two broken families that didn't want these two young people to love each other. And remember, it ends in suicide. You know, these, these, are, these are people that we look back at and we look historically or uh, in our hearts we, we see as great even after the fact and having reflected on their life. But it's usually, when you think about it, the faithfulness and courage that people have ex expended often at the ultimate price that we say, wow, wow, that's a life well lived. And so it is with spiritual greatness. It's the same. We all desire it. I, I believe that. I, I've never met a Christian that goes, you know what, I think I want to be mediocre my whole life. I think the word is mediocre. <laughs> but it is early. I'm preaching at 9.15 this morning. I, 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 nobody, nobody wakes up. I, I just don't think that. You know, I think, I think I'm just going to sit back and, and be a lousy child of God. I'm not going to be a testimony. Nobody says that. Even people who are neck deep in, in giving in to sin wish they weren't. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we treat each other like it's, like, like, you know, you're just stupid if you don't live faithful. But it's hard. It's, it's really hard. I mean, we want courage. The truth is, um, we don't want the process of becoming courageous. Uh, we want courage without having to act courageously. Right? Um, today, in 1 Samuel 16, we find the great prophet Samuel heading into the twilight of his ministry as he ushers in the Hebrew nation from her first king to her second. And this morning, I want us to simply observe the emotional characteristics of this man's life that we would call great, because they're important. And they're not the stuff that we spend much, a lot of time talking about. But it is what it is. So, Father, I ask you this morning to speak to our hearts. Make us great. Make us courageous. Make us men and women of God whose lives may not be honored in books in the future or by people around us, but may we live lives that please you. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel 16, 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as the king of Israel, so fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. You remember the context here, I'm sure, uh, but to bring those of you up to speed who haven't been with us, um, the Hebrew nation has rejected God as their king. And I don't mean just by default. They flat out rejected him. They told God that they knew he wanted them to be a special nation, a nation who, who, who the world would say, what is going on? How is it this, that this backward small country has such victories? And they were supposed to be a people who would say, because our God is alive. They were supposed to be a living testimony to what God would do in the lives of people that would follow him. And they said, we don't want that. The whole crux of that was that they would have a king 
that was God. God was going to be their king. And they said, we want to be like everybody else. We want a human king. So God sent Samuel to warn them of what that would look like, that this king would use them for his, his own favor, that he would serve himself through them as a nation. And their response is, is disgusting. The response is, we know that. Even if you're right, as if he's not. Even if you're right, even so, we want a human king. We want to be like everybody else, not special. So God gave him Saul, who turned out to be exactly as sinful and self-serving as God had warned them through Samuel. Despite knowing Saul, now, now I'm turning it to Samuel here for a second. Despite himself knowing that Saul was not a good king, despite watching as the people chose him over God, despite watching that he wasn't even a good choice for the nation, despite watching him turn his back on God and even being the one God told him to communicate his judgment and his removal from the throne through, Samuel still mourned for Saul. He mourned for him. Because the man or woman of God who serves God faithfully mourns as they watch those around them flounder in unfaithfulness. It hurts. It hurts your heart. We don't have any idea how long Samuel had mourned for Saul, but we do know that it's Saul's sin and rebellion that grieved him. Don't know if he's depressed. Don't know if he's losing weight. Don't know if he's anxious and can't sleep at night. What we do know is that it was painful for him to watch, and even God identified identified it as him mourning for Saul because of it. And he's not the only man or woman of God through in Scripture that does that. In fact, Jeremiah was mocked being called the weeping prophet. Daniel fervently prayed and fasted that God would revisit his people and restore them. The Apostle Paul talked a lot about the pain he felt for the Jews who had rejected Jesus Christ. He even said, if I could go to hell in their place, I would be glad to. And in Philippians said that he was tired and weary and it would be better for him to die. He'd rather die than continue, but God had called him to continue so that he would. That's grief. Mary, the mother of Jesus, would grieve knowing that the man on the cross wasn't just her son, was her Savior. And she would grieve as that whole group of people would reject him. And even Jesus himself, Scripture tells us, hours before his arrest, a few hours, a few days, sat on the hillside over Jerusalem. It says, crying out to them, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you really knew who I was, you would, you would let me come to you, you would let me to minister to you. He mourned over them. Mourning for others is part of the life of being called a man or woman of God. And we should not and we cannot protect ourselves from it unless we choose to walk away from our responsibility and relationships. You see, this isn't just the characteristic of the famous godly man or woman. It's the characteristic of any godly man or woman. When you go to church with somebody for so long and you love them, and you watch them leave their spouse just because they found somebody else. When you watch a pastor fail in sin that you loved, and you try to reconcile, well, how long has he been doing this? Has he been a fraud? And the answer is no. He's not a fraud. He's just a sinful dude. It hurts. And because of that, people often leave church. You see, Satan has effectively, and this is just a side note, made church much, much less intimate and personal than God designed. He's made it about preaching, and it's not about preaching. It's about what we just did, singing together. It's coming together. It's, it's communicating. It's leaving this room and meeting in smaller groups and, and holding each other accountable and praying for each other under the guise that we all realize that we're only one stupid moment away from falling ourselves. 
I mean, the truth is we do fall. We fall all the time and we need the encouragement. We need to gather regularly and remind each other that God is good even if the world is not. That's why we gather. And we look at this man who knew what a loser Saul is and it says that he still mourned to such a place that God says it's time to stop mourning, Samuel. It's time to stop mourning. In fact, I want you to get up. You've mourned long enough. I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with oil. Go to Bethlehem. I want you to find a man named uh, Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Verse 2, but Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Characteristic number two. If we mourn for those around us that we care about that are falling into sin and rejecting God, sometimes we get scared. Samuel. Samuel was afraid. I want you to think about that for a second. It's like Elijah being afraid. Oh, yeah, he was too. Remember why he got depressed after God calls fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel? He's afraid because the king and the queen decided they want him dead. Same thing is going on here. You see, a faithful man or woman of God isn't, isn't void of mourning or grief. He, he or she is not avoided. Uh, he's not void of, of fear. You see that here. Fear even for his own life. Because everybody, and God made it this way, everybody wants to live. It's built into our DNA. The person who ceases wanting to live has some struggles. God gave us the desire to live. God gave us the desire to have a smooth life. And even the man or woman of God struggles with this. I want you to listen to God's instruction to the heir of Moses' leadership of the Hebrew nation from Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on a land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give to them. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the left or to the right. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Mediate on it day, uh, meditate, not mediate. <laughs> meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Ready for it? This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Four times he instructs him to be courageous or not afraid. And why does he do that? Why? Because he would feel fearful and weak and wonder if God is still in control. Remember, this guy was the assistant to Moses. He had watched them wander through the wilderness for 40 years. He saw God be silent when they wanted him to speak and speak when he wanted him silent. They had seen God direct them the long route through the wilderness and not the short route. They didn't understand what he was doing, and he knew what was at hand. And this was a guy who didn't want the job. So God begins by saying, not only is it your task, but you're going to have to trust me on this. You know, the, the, the thing is that God doesn't survey you to see what you're good at or what you think you should do. He gives you a task. 
and then he asks you to perform it in his strength, trusting him. Back to 1 Samuel 16, 2 through 4. How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord rejected, or replied. What is wrong with my reading? <laughs> rejected. Watch the screen this morning. And say what you have come, <clears throat> say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, now pay attention, okay? So he goes, okay, God, I'm going to do that. He's mourning. Stop mourning. God, he's going to kill me. Don't worry. I got this. I want you to head there. So he heads there. Listen to his greeting. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. What, did you come in peace? <clears throat> the man or woman of God's life involves mourning for those that they serve and serve around. The man or woman of God's life is often scary for their own life. And here we see that the man or woman of God's life is often misunderstood and even resented by those around them, by those they're ministering to. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the passage says, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What is wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? And you know exactly why. Because every time he showed up, actually most of the prophets, every time they showed up, something bad was about to happen. Why? Because the prophet was basically a covenant enforcer. That, that's a good way to look at it. It was a police officer for the laws of God. And when the people had turned their back on the covenant that they had agreed to at Mount Sinai, God would send a prophet, and they would show up, and they would say, Thus saith the Lord, and they would say, I, your God, have seen you. They would speak on behalf of God. And it was because, sometimes to bless, but often it was to curse. It was to straighten them out. It was saying, you're, you're not aligning with the things you promised, so you need to come back. And these people had seen that so often, and they were so afraid of God. They didn't love God. They were fearful of God. I want to remind you that the fear of the Lord may be the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says, but Nehemiah understood that the joy of the Lord is what sustains us. That's our strength. You know, God is not trying to, to, to get you to submit to him out of fear. He wants you to submit to him out of love and trust. The fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom is what gets us saved. It is the joy of the Lord that sustains. We fear the Lord when we're not his child, but we should love the Lord. I want to remind you that in Philippians, Paul's prayer for the church of Philippi, and even in Ephesus, was not that they would stop sinning, or that they would understand him more, or, or, or understand the law, or obey the law. His prayer for them was that they would begin to grasp how high, and how wide, and deep, and long his love for them was. <clears throat> if you're four-year-old child obeys you out of fear that they'll be spanked. I assure you, as the parent of a 22-year-old and a 19-year-old now, if at 17 they're still obeying you out of fear, there will come a day when they run away from you so they don't have to fear you anymore. Fear has to turn to love, or it becomes legalism. We start attacking each other because we're so afraid of God. You see, this wasn't new to Samuel. In 2 Chronicles 36, verse 15, it says this, The Lord, the God of the, their ancestors, repeatedly sent the, his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. One of these referred to in this chronicle passage was Samuel the prophet. But here's what makes him great. It's not what he experienced. The application of those three principles are not mourn more, fear more, and be resented more. 
It's fall in love with God. Obey Him more. Fulfill your task. We just sing, How Great Thou Art. And the last verse of that hymn is about, you know, when we go to be with Him. And, and we're still going to sing, How Great Thou Art. Uh, the, the theme of the song is we start now singing, How Great Thou Art, and then we will sing it into eternity through life's difficulties and eternal joy. And look, let's be real. Nobody wants to walk through death's door. We all will, but it's kind of a scary, unnerving thought. Somebody's going to text me and say, I'm not afraid of death. Good for you. The rest of us are. But the fact is, the fact is that that will be a wonderful day when we go to be with Jesus. That will be an awesome day. Scripture tells us that no eye has seen and no ear has any idea what God has, has awaiting those of us who know him. That, my friends, is our eternal retirement. This is our work. Peter explained in First and Second Peter that the judgment against mankind begins with the church, and that is in the fulfillment of our responsibilities in this life, in fulfilling our task. Samuel had a task that he was called to at 12 or 13 years of age, and he didn't sign up for it. He didn't do a gift survey. God threw him into it. And he begins serving the Lord by telling his mentor Eli that he's about to be removed by God and his kids are going to die. It started rough. We were talking uh, Wednesday night, we were looking at the, the day that Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac to the Lord. And somebody made the comment, uh, we were just making observations, and somebody observed Wednesday night that God actually intended trauma on Abraham's life. If, if we really start believing the lie of the world around us, that YOLO is true, you only live once, then that's not fair. But if you realize that we have been bought with a price, one of the songs this morning referred to that 1 Corinthians passage. This really became open to me when I was a high school kid, and I had a youth pastor tell me one day, he was saying, Mark, the reason we don't drink isn't because, you know, underage or whatever, uh, the reason we don't commit adultery, the reason we don't do what the world does isn't because because it's not good for us, although those things may be true. He said, the reason we don't do those things is because we've been bought with a high price and we're called to live for God, to glorify God in our body, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we should understand that that is to be surrendered to Him. The reason we live royal, we've been talking about, is not because it's good for us, but because it's good for His plan. We live for His plan now. We don't live for our own peace, our own joy. He gives us peace and joy while we live for Him. The problem that we've seen, and you remember way back when we studied through James is, we have married our own plans with Christianity, and they don't marry. We want our flesh and God, and much of the church is struggling because of that this day. They want a, a more entertaining time. They want to feel good, and the truth is, then they're shocked when their life doesn't measure up to the peace they expect from that, or that they're promised from the pulpit. And then, you know what pastors like me do when people don't find the peace that we promised? We blame you. We tell you that it's not an act of faith on your part, that your problem is you're not living for God enough. And that's simply not true. And you see it here. The first three characteristics of the man or woman of God's life that at least we see in Samuel's life is mourning, grief. And you can't run away from that. Jeff and Alicia and I have been talking a lot lately about how painful pastoring is. Watching people self-destruct is like Joe, uh, Pastor Joe, who used to be the president of Moody? Joe Stoll, I want to give him credit for it. Joe Stoll used to say it's like watching a slow train wreck. Visualize that. They're coming together, you can't stop the train, you're screaming, get off the train, and you can hear the metal slowly just, just wrinkling. 
That's what it's like to be part of the body of Christ. What are you doing? I've got to have this. It's going to destroy you. There's no out for you on this. I want it anyway. That's what Samuel felt with Saul and the nation. Mourning. And then being called to stand up against it. Saul's going to kill me. Fear. What if I stand up at work for the king? What if I don't cheat when I'm asked to cheat? What if I hold my ground? What if I offer hope in Jesus Christ when I'm not supposed to? Those are difficult things and scary things. And then you show up to do it. You faithfully and courageously prepare to do your task. And the person you're ministering to says, what are you going what, what to say to me today? They don't greet you. You expect to be hailed with flowers and, and, and balloons, and the person goes, why are you talking to me about this? It is amazing to me how our culture has decided that coming out of the closet with your sexual orientation is a sign of great courage today. That's ridiculous. In Hollywood and everywhere else, it's hailed as courage. You want to know what's courage? For a man of God to say, I'm praying for you. How about that as a Hollywood actor? How about somebody in Washington, D.C. saying, you, they're even mocking now, praying for situations like the Florida school. They're mocking that. It's been going on since Samuel's day. That's part of it, being misunderstood. But there's one more, and this one we don't talk about very much. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. Verse 4, moved on. So if you're afraid if you're discouraged, if you're being mocked, if you're mourning the world, the people around you, be like Samuel. Keep going. Just keep be like Samuel. So he did as the Lord instructed, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came, trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And all of them went, Ooh, okay, good to have you. Get him flowers. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, uh, Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. So I want you to picture this in your mind. He looked like me. He walked by. Why are you laughing? See, you guys laugh at the wrong things, okay? I mean, Eliab, he was, he was probably looked like Saul. Do you remember when Saul was chosen? It said he was taller than everybody else and good-looking. Uh, they didn't get a long look at him because you remember what he did as soon as he was chosen? He went and hid in the luggage. Remember that? So he didn't have the heart of a lion, but he looked like he should have the heart of a lion, and the people chose him. And Eliab walks by, and, and Samuel is taken up in it. But the Lord said to Samuel, verse 7, Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this is my favorite one. And we really, really need to own this because everybody in this room who's more than six minutes old in Christ know this one to be true. Usually, we may have an idea of what God is going to do, but we have no idea how he's going to do it. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm a little tired of prophecy books that tell me exactly God is how he's going to do it. And then they get outdated, and then they update them for the next world catastrophe. You know what I'm talking about? New cover, new topic. For a while, it was Saddam Hussein. It was Osama bin Laden as the Antichrist. 
some machine in Rome. They keep changing the cover, keep selling them by a new, uh, a new publishing company, and we keep buying them. We have no idea how God's going to wrap this up. Well, I'm a free trib, free mill, purple people eater. Good for you. I'm inclined to be with you on that, but we have no idea what that looks like. You've got most of the church saying that the wars around the world and the earthquakes from Scripture are proof that God's return is near. But the problem is in 1 Thessalonians that it actually says what everybody says, peace is breaking out. So the, the Scripture isn't even clear on when. Well, let's see what Jesus says about the return of the Lord. He said, even I don't know, only my Father knows. I mean, the fact is that nobody knows, but we keep trying to guess it. And it's embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. It's as embarrassing as Samuel having to record, and we believe Samuel wrote this, having to record that I was standing with Jesse and his boys, and, and there's, man, there was you know, seven of them, and they're walking by, and the first one was so handsome and so tall, I was sure he was the guy. And the Lord told me, he doesn't look at things like I do. We know that. Let's just own it. We have no idea what God is going to do. No, no idea. We know what it looks like in the end, right? And that's where we put our hope, in his promised future. But we don't know how he gets us from this point to that. Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. It made sense to Samuel that God would choose him. But God doesn't seem to ever want to do what we expect. Why? Because verse 7 says the Lord doesn't see things as we do. People judge by outward appearance. I know that's not true for you. But the Lord looks at the heart. Way more important to him. It, our problem, one of our problems as men and women of God is that no matter how much we know we shouldn't do it, we still lean on our own understanding, don't we? We still trust ourselves. And so did our spiritual heroes. You're in good company. Nothing's changed but technology. Not even godly men and women. It's an incredible truth. Our spiritual heroes mourned. Our spiritual heroes were afraid. Our spiritual heroes were misunderstood. And our spiritual heroes had no idea how God was going to do what he promised, including the disciples who hours before, and if we cannot laugh at them for a moment, Jesus just said, okay, guys, here's what's going to happen. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to beat me within an inch of my life. I'm going to die on the cross, but I'm coming back three days later. And this was the disciples' response. So when you set up your kingdom, who's going to be on your right and your left? I mean, these guys were clueless in the same way that we're clueless. We just don't believe even what God tells us he's going to do because it doesn't fit the way we see the world. God is so big and awesome. Who could have envisioned a man dying and coming back from the dead? Well, the answer is they should have because they saw it happen a week before. You know what I'm talking about, right? Lazarus? But they still couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that God would die. But he never does things the way we think he should. Because we're just folks, man. We're the kids. Do you mow your grass the way your kids think you should mow the grass? Your 10-year-old, that kid. It would look like a racetrack knot thing, like a pretzel. No, you need to go in straight lines. That's not fun. It just wouldn't work. Because you have the big picture. I want to watch NASCAR this why? Let's just mow the grass all day. You have the big picture. You have the best plan. And why do we expect anything less from God than that? Jesse told his son a 
Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this isn't the one the Lord has chosen either. Next, Jesse sum summoned Shemaiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. And you have to know that in Samuel's mind, he's going, okay, we're running out of boys. In the same way, all, of seven, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, um, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, hey, are these all the sons you have? Well, I mean, all the meaningful sons. I mean, there is the youngest, he replied, but he's out in the fields watching sheep and goats. As usual, no one even imagined that little pretty David the shepherd boy, would be God's next king. I mean, that, would, that makes no sense. Even his own dad. And, and don't get me wrong, dads in this day loved their sons, more than their wives. I mean, they loved their boys. Their boys carried on the family name. Jesse loved David. If you want to know how an, a father views his youngest son, look at Joseph's dad and Benjamin. Loved him. Just because he's not thought of as a leader or leader of the family, doesn't mean he loves him any less. He wasn't even thought of. Sin for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. That's the thing, same thing, if you remember, that he did with Saul. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome. Other translations say ruddy. And he had beautiful eyes. All the ladies are going, <laughs> surely a king. But to be clear, these aren't compliments. Not even by Samuel. How do I know that? Because in the next chapter we'll get into after Easter, 1 Samuel 17, 42, and when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. And here's why. He was but a youth. He was that tall. Kidding. He was ruddy and handsome in appearance. To be clear, he's too pretty to be a warrior. He's too pretty to be a king. He's tiny. That's the harp poet boy who does sheep. Nobody pictured him as a king. Even his appearance was offensive, not just to the nation of Israel, but even to his own dad. And the Lord said, that's the one. Anoint him. <laughs> I love that. Doesn't God just make you crazy sometimes? It's okay. Let's take a breath and be honest with each other. The answer is yes, he does. So David stood there among his brothers Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. What do you think his brothers are thinking? He stinks like sheep. If you want to know how they feel, stay plugged in. We'll get there in chapter 17. They don't feel much at this time. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on, and Samuel returned to Ramah. Kip, will you put a picture up there for me, please? Can anybody, except for Zach Wilkie, recognize this person? Anybody know who this is? Of course not. This man's name is Edward Kimball. Now, does anybody know who he is? Good. He was just a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the hyper boys in his class, but also sought to win each of them to the Lord personally. He decided that he would be intentional with every single last one of them. It was difficult. And surely he thought about throwing in the towel a time or two. These were street boys. If you have ever taught a Bible class to young boys, you know that the experience could be like herding cats. And I imagine that he wondered if he was accomplishing anything at all, but he did keep at it. 
One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about. So Kim, Kimball fulfilled his promise, and he went to the shoe store where this young man was stocking shelves. And he confronted him in the stock room for the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man's name was Dwight. Dwight Lyman Moody. In the stockroom on that Saturday, he believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. In his lifetime, Moody uh, touched two continents for God and thousands professing Christ through his ministry. But that's not the end of the story. Actually, it's the beginning. It was under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became an evangelist who preached to thousands. One day, there was a professional ball player who had had the day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings. And that's how Billy Sunday came to know Jesus as a Savior. Soon after, Sunday quit baseball and became part of Chapman's evangelistic team. Then Chapman accepted a pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusade. At one of his crusades, uh, there was a young man who was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. He was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets advertising his needs. I'm sorry, that was just a crazy time, wasn't it? Get saved or enter my hearse. When Ham went to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he wouldn't go near him or hear him preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, did eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school and that male students were skipping lunch to visit that house across the street. When students decided to go, they decided to go for the purpose of interrupting the meetings of Mordecai Ham because he was impacting their personal pleasure. Billy Frank decided to go to see what would happen. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he had heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and accepted Christ as his personal Savior. Now, you know Billy Frank. He just went to be with the Lord last week. His name was Billy Graham. The evangelist who preached to more people than any other person who's ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. The chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's personal, quiet, faithful, discouraging, scary, overwhelming, blind ministry. Faithfulness to God. Now I know you're sitting here and you, because you're in the Bible Belt, and you're not D.L. Moody or Billy Graham, you would never compare yourself to Samuel or Esther or Ruth. You're just a mom raising a two-year-old that's full of the devil. Or you just sit here every week and you watch people enter stage and play instruments and you couldn't do that. That's not your thing. You're just a guy who likes to fish. And you sit here and you go, I, I just, have you ever been used by God and you don't know that you have? I want to remind you that most of the people that God calls are like Edward Kimball. They're not D.L. Moody. You know, we, we sang as children, and I know you sang it too, Dare to be a Daniel. Maybe we should change the song to Dare to be Edward Kimball. Who's just faithful to their task. And, and look, I'm not trying to discourage you in your, in your service to the king by telling you how hard it is, but you've been lied to enough. Seriously. It is hard. It's complicated. And emotionally, it's draining. Because the truth is, even if we get through all the fear and and, and the courage, and even if we trust the Lord and we're faithful to our task, there is that final fourth thing that we don't know, and we have no idea what God is doing. We don't. It makes no, in fact, most of the time it makes no sense why he does what he does. It, it doesn't. But we don't like to say that because we think that'll be bad press for God. Let's just, let's just be honest here. God could handle his own press releases. The truth is we've got to stop lying to each other. Why? Because in the truth there's encouragement. 
I mean, there's going to be days when I'm discouraged, and I'm going to need you to remind me that God is working even if we don't see it. And there's going to be times I'm going to need to remind you that you are surrounded by fools, but those are people God loves, and we love them too. And the reason it's so discouraging is because you can't understand how they could be so blinded. That's life, my friends. That's the spiritual battle that we face. And the day is coming when that will be at an end. It will be at an end. I want to remind you of a, of a couple of verses that were written for you. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Remember that day? And you can't take credit for it. Most of you would never take credit for it anyway. It was a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things you've done. You can't boast about it, and you know that. None of you would. For you're God's masterpiece. Here's why. He created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you could do things he planned long ago. You are not just retooled, but you're called. I just need to know what I'm called to do. No, you don't. You really don't. Edward Kimball had no idea that God would use his ministry to change generations for Christ. No idea. He was just a dude living in the middle of the 1800s who taught Sunday school in probably an old crotchety church somewhere. And by the way, he took the rough kids. They were the ones nobody else wanted. And he probably wasn't fairly effective during it. That's why he chased this boy into the stockroom of a smelly shoe store because he wanted to faithfully assimilate his task. So what does God want from me? Raise your kids. Fix a diesel engine. Be a nurse. When you go to class and those kids start kicking you and throwing things at you, duck. I mean, I don't want to make light of it. I know it's scary. Yeah. I know it's discouraging. I mean, if you're doing your job, if we're doing our job, the world is going to hate us. They're going to scream louder the closer we get. They're going to resent us. Then we go home. That's why we gather. That's why we get together, so we can sing how great you are, because this life is difficult. We get together to remind each other that it's still good, even if it feels not good. That God is faithful, even if we don't see his faithfulness. That when he does crazy things that make no sense, they're God crazy and somehow they work together for good because he's good. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Well, I don't know that. Well, Paul just told you. Write that down. Memorize it this week. Dear brothers and sisters, be strong, be immovable. Always work enthusiastic for the Lord, for nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. You know what we do know? That the scriptures are never used in vain? Well, guess what? Neither are you. Lord Jesus, in this room we have people with cancer that are scared. We have people that struggle with anxiety. We have people that are, feel like they're walking on water right now. We have people whose lives are wonderful, and we have people whose lives are scary. And that, that's what makes us family. Because when one is down, the other can carry them. 
When that person is down, the other can carry them. We are a team. We're a family put together by you to spur each other on to love and good deeds. We protect each other. We provide for each other. We mourn together when our brothers or sisters fall. We mourn as the world chooses not to follow you. And we celebrate the goodness of God as we sing how great you are. Dear Lord, make us immovable in our task. Help us to overcome our mourning through you. May we be courageous yet afraid. May we look at those who mock us and realize they're talking about you and may we hurt for them. And may we stop trying to figure out what you're going to do Stop trying to figure things out in our own understanding and acknowledge you in all of our ways. We do love you, Lord. Now help us trust you. Make us not like Samuel necessarily. Make us like Edward Kelly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, go get them, family. Happy spring break. Uh, there's a meeting for those who want to be involved in security or have been. This is important. So if you'll slip out of Bible study this morning, those of you who are on our security team, that'll start in about uh, 10 minutes.